Good morning. I'll be reading from Luke 35 through 48. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at a table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not let his house be broken into. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the, the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will, will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Good morning. Forgive me if I sound like Peter Brady during this sermon. I, I, I've been dealing with this cold for like three weeks, so it's a, uh, you know, that's what happens when you have a kindergartner and a preschooler. It's got these new strands coming all the time, but I'm going to have a really great immunity someday. <laughs> Let me pray. God, thanks for your word, and we love it. And this morning, God, there are um, some pretty bold things. Um, that uh, you're asking me to preach about. So ask God that that is received with grace and not with uh, judgment or um, anything that is outside of love. I pray that it's it's just received well. And I pray that you would give me the words to, to say in the right way to represent you well. Um, God, uh, pray for anyone here who is um, hurting, who is uh, needing uh, church family to support them, and I ask God that you would equip us to do that. Uh, we're not always the best at it, uh, but we do f- hope that uh, you would um, put it on people's hearts to, to, to reach out to those who are in need of a listening ear, um, a hug, um, a, someone just to, to be there for them and, and walk through a, a season in life. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to take a look at the story of humanity. And uh, in our modern world, as well as other worldviews, it's believed that the story of humanity is a a circular one or or a cyclical one, that life is essentially a race on on this wheel, you know, like where the the rat just jumps on there and and it's this rat wheel and and it's just this vicious cycle, this this vicious grind, this daily grind where life is just kind of routine and things are more or less the same. 
And we're living in a story where history just kind of repeats itself. And so you get this sense of belief and the sense of value when you talk to people and you hear sayings that come from their mouth that are like, um, you only live once and make the most of what you have now. And this is it. And this is the only life you have. And, and you, you hear these types of phrases and you get the sense that, yeah, this is, what, this is what it's about, that people think that life is just kind of this. This, right? And so how do people get to such a belief? Well, I think it stems from not knowing the beginning or the end of the story. That they don't know the start and they don't know the ending. And I think when people don't have a start and an ending to the story of humanity, the story in the middle gets really confusing. There, there just aren't any bookends to put all that stuff together. And, and what they have is the only thing that they do have. A pursuit of living in the now. That's all they have. Because there is no start and there is no ending. So they have to live in the now. You have to live in the now if there is no reference point for the beginning or there is no destination of where you are going. You have to live in the now. And so we have people who attempt to theorize the beginnings of humanity because it is an indeed a very important reference point. It, it's very important. And we have people who theorize where humanity is heading and there is no foreseeable end to that humanity. It's just kind of all theory. And so without those reference points of the beginning or of the ending of the story of humanity, you naturally live in the now. You have nowhere else to live. And by living solely in the now, we we depend on the present to guide us into a, a brighter future. So what does the current world offer us? Well, it has a lot to offer. Right? The world has a lot of things to offer us and, and how we've kind of evolved. It has a lot to offer. If you just look at technology, for instance, in the past few decades and how that's just revolutionized the world. There was no computer 60 years ago. There was no internet 50 years ago. There was no cell phone 40 years ago. There was no World Wide Web 30 years ago. And so these technologies, they've changed our world in in enormous ways. They have enabled us to do things that we could never do before. They've allowed us to communicate with someone all the way across the globe in real time. That that didn't happen before. And, And it's changed our world. And yet with all of our advances of humanity, where are we really? Really? Has it made the the beginning of the story of humanity clearer? Has it made that ending clearer? And I just don't think so. I don't think it has. If anything, it's made it more unclear. Right? And, And so as humanity, speaking in just these general terms, I think we have moved from the story of love and forgiveness and romance and mystery and redemption, these things that we really valued before, to this story of science. Science answers things, and survival of the fittest, and cycles. And so we've moved. We've changed the story. And with a a theoretical beginning that is that dry, and an ending that is nowhere in sight, and you you don't even know what it is, and, and, and not a care as to how things will end, it's just no wonder that living in the now is so valued by the world. That's all they have. 
That's all the world has to offer. If you don't believe there is a God, you better live it up now. You better, right? If I don't believe that there is a God and I'm just kind of here speaking words, I'm crazy. I should be doing whatever I want to do. Whatever that sin nature of mine wants to really do, I should go do it. Why is there a compass of morality within me? I should just do whatever I like. Because from the second that we were born, if you don't believe that there's a God, from the second you are born, you're just making your way towards death. Right? You're born and then you're moving towards death. What's outside of that if you don't believe in a God? And the follower of Jesus believes in death. But the difference is that we have a God that is about resurrection. That by dying, our physical death, that is not the end. It's a point in our journey towards everlasting life with God. And you and I don't make up these rules. You and I didn't make this stuff up. When we were born physically, did we make up those rules? Did we make up those rules? We just came out. We came out all slimy and crying. And all you guys looked Asian. Right? You ever notice that? I, I can say that. Some of you guys can't say that. I can say that. Um, but you ever notice that when babies are first born? Like, it's Asian. And maybe that's just me, but, but I've been to a lot of births. But yeah, I, I used to work in the ER and stuff. But anyway, you and I didn't make up the rules in how we entered this world. We didn't make that up. You just came out. And you and I don't make up the rules in entering a spiritual world either. Why do people think differently? You have no say at all in the coming into the physical world, yet you think you have a say in going into a spiritual world? That's crazy. You don't, you don't have a say in that. This is God's kingdom. It's His kingdom. What does the follower of Jesus have in terms of the story of humanity? We have a definite beginning and we have a definite end. We know what it is to live in the middle. We know what we're to do in the middle. We have a story that starts within the beginning God created. Genesis chapter 1, 1, right? And in the story of humanity, we have this ending with the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is God. And present from the very beginning of creation, came to earth in the flesh 2,000 years ago, and whom we're studying about, who said that he will return and usher in an end of humanity as we know it. The world has a very different story, doesn't it? I mean, generally speaking, the world offers us a, a, a cyclical story. That kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. That empires rise and empires fall. That things are here and things are just kind of going in and we're just kind of figuring out the same things and we kind of know figuring out, uh, yeah, there's new inventions to those things, but basically everything's the same. I can see that. If I look at it from worldly, secular eyes, I can see that. Human history reflects that. But the story within the Christian worldview is one that has a definite end and has a progression towards the end. That it has a definite ending. And that the story of humanity is progressing towards that last stop. The return of Jesus Christ. Because after that, it's really not this kind of flesh and blood stuff anymore. It's everlasting, right? 
So when I'm saying this, the end of humanity, I'm not meaning like, oh, you and I, are, we're, we're just all totally wiped out. I'm saying we're just living in, in different types of being. We have a definite beginning in a creation and a conclusive end in the return of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know when that end is, but we do know that there is an end. We do know that it will happen and that there will be an end to the story of humanity for everyone, whether they like the ending or they don't, that there's an ending. Everyone, whether we accept it or not, is moving towards a meeting with Jesus. Whether you believe in him or not, you're moving towards that way. He's coming back. And, and, and if we die before his return, we'll just meet him sooner. But when will be his return? No one knows. No one knows, but he's on his way. And as followers of Jesus, our hope doesn't lie on when he returns, but that he indeed returns. He will return. And, and a key thing to remember for the follower of Jesus is to, to focus on the personal relationship with Jesus and that our relationship with Jesus is intimate and that it's highly personal, that it's not some distant theory or something that we're just kind of going along with because people around us are just doing that. Jesus is coming, and you can take that to the bank or credit union because we're part of the 99. Um, you, can, you can take that back. We don't know when. Take that to the credit union. Yet there are um, some of us who focus a lot on when Jesus will be returning, even though the Bible is really clear and we don't know when that is. It's really clear about that, right? People come up with all sorts of dates and they're like, well, if you put these numbers together and you do these, these, uh, this a logarithm or something and then you have all this and you derive this date of like whatever last week sometime on Friday or whatever it was. I don't know when it was. I don't even remember. And they focus on those things. But before us is Luke chapter 12. And the Bible, God's Word, tells us that Jesus is returning. And, and knowing our beginning, that there is a Creator, knowing our end, that Jesus Christ is coming back, it changes how we live in the present. Our pursuits in the present change, don't they? If we look at our, our life through this lens of reality, it, it changes our life of hypocrisy. It changes our attitude of covetousness and greed. It changes our heart of worry and anxiousness. It changes our present state of being. If this is indeed our reality, that He's coming back, the return of Jesus is for sure. Right? Well, well, when that happens, that's not sure. We don't know when that happens, but Him coming back is for sure. That's our reality as followers of Jesus. Right? We, we know we live in the present age with this definitive ending approaching. So what do we do? We pray, and we wait, and we hope, and we look for Jesus to return. We ready ourselves for this promise. Take a quick look at verse 40. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We are to be ready. We are to be faithful, alert, attentive, for his return. How diligent are we regarding Jesus' return? Now let's be honest. Because some people are more attentive to other things than Jesus' return. 
Some aren't even thinking about Jesus' return, even though it's clear that this is a warning by Jesus to be ready. How do you get ready for a sporting event? You train for it, right? You you get ready for that. How do you get ready for that test? You study. You do various things to get ready for things. If you are just sitting back and not doing anything and waiting, you are not getting ready. Let's start with our verses this morning in verse 35 and 36. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. When the master's away, it's not time to play. Right? It's not time to get all lazy and abandon the master's instructions. Oh, thank God he's gone. Hey, hey let's, let's you know, break out the keg or whatever. You know, we are to be ready for action. We are, we are to be waiting and working at the post that he's put us at. The way they are ready for the master is watching for him. Right? They're, they're, they're waiting for him. They are ready. Whenever they see that he's arriving, they are ready. And that's a picture painted by Jesus as to how we are to be at his arrival. That we are to be ready. We don't know when he'll return, but we are to be ready. We are to be on the watch. Are we dressed for action? Are our lamps burning? Are we ready for his return? Or are we just kind of snuggled up in our PJs? We're just kind of ready and we're just kind of sleeping. And, oh, when he knocks, I'll open that door. Are we ready for that master to return? And, and we're not sleeping at the wheel and we're, not, we're, we're, we're watching for him. Verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. And so you see that picture of Jesus. For, for those who he finds awake when he comes, Jesus dresses himself for service. Right? He, he has us relax and he'll serve us. What does Luke chapter 22 verse 27 say? It says, For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. See, Jesus ministered and he served the disciples as they sat there in the Last Supper. And he will do that upon his return with us. He tells us how it's going to be when he returns. Verse 38, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Even if the master doesn't come back right away because he's out there, he's, he's at a wedding feast, he's, he's, he's going to come back who knows when. Blessed are those servants who are awake and ready for his arrival. Now, the Jewish people, they separated their night watches into three watches, right? So, so here we have this division of these three watches. And, and so he's saying, like, so that first watch is pretty easy. You're, you're pretty much on guard, right? You're awake and you're ready. That second watch, it's getting later. And so you might be a little bit more. That third watch, it's even later. But you just don't know when in those watches um, Jesus is, is coming back or the Master is coming back. So in that time between Jesus' ascension and His second coming, one of those three watches, He's not coming back right away. It's probably not during that first watch. It's the second and third watch. Right? He's coming back either in the near future, that second watch, or later, that third watch. We don't know. 
But for us to stay awake, to be ready at all times, we will be blessed. Stay awake. Now, when is the last time you even thought about the Lord's return? That you even thought about it? And for those who, who haven't thought about it in recent past, are you indeed ready? If you haven't even thought about him coming, it's like dinner guests coming by, right? We had the interns, 10 of them coming over last night. My wife is like furiously cleaning for the past couple days because three little kids can do a lot of mess. And so she's like cleaning. It's like one day per child, I think. But we were ready for them. Can you imagine if we were just like whatever and they came in and they were like, whoa, awesome. We entered a preschool. And so, you know, are we ready? And if you have that thought about it, has it changed how you lived this past week? If you have thought about it, has it changed how you've lived? Did you apologize for the wrong you did for that, towards that person this past week? Were, were you able to control your tongue and not say something that you were going to later regret? Did it help you compose an email in a loving way rather than a way of judgment and condemnation and just a defensive attitude? Did it help you speak on the phone in a way you would like to be talked to? How has it helped you? How has it changed you knowing that He's going to return at any time? Jesus is set to return. Does that have any influence on how we live? I mean, Because what are we doing? What are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our finances? What are we doing? Are we ready? Are we dressed? Are our lights lit? Are they shining? Or have we just gotten lazy and we've just abandoned our post? We've just kind of been self-absorbed and we're just kind of doing whatever. You're not ready. Verse 39, But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Now the word broken in this verse is um, really cool to me for some reason because it's, it's speaking about digging through a house, right? Digging in a house. Because these houses were made with mud bricks. So that's what this is talking about, right? That if some guy knew that you were going to dig through his house, right? Like, like get, get that thing and brick in and kind of go through this whole motion. Would he leave? Would the master of that house who knew that that thief was going to be coming through that wall at any time, would he leave? Probably not. I'd, if, if it was me, I'd be like waiting and hearing that dig. I'd be like, okay, it's going to be right here. I'm going to sit right here. You're trying to break in my house? You're crazy. Pop! Right? I'm like, right, the only way a thief would break through the wall of your house is if you didn't expect it. Right? And then you came home and you'd be surprised. Said, There's a wall in my house that is holy. Like, There's a hole in, in the wall of my house. And my stuff is gone. That stinks. But if you knew that a thief was coming, you'd be ready. You'd, just walk, you'd be right there. You'd be waiting. You'd be sitting there just waiting for that. How you doing? I'm going to kill you. Whatever. Right? It's when it's not expected that theft happens, right? Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's how He's coming. We don't know when He's coming, but you got to be ready. Verse 40, You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you did not expect. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, 
Are you telling this parable for us or for all? Peter asked this question. Jesus responds with a question. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? The master hands his household to a a manager to take care of his household and all the servants that work within his household. And the manager is to take care of that home and all the servants within that home to make sure you know they're fed and everything's being taken care of. Now, there is a certain amount of autonomy and freedom that the master has given that manager, right? He has given him a lot of autonomy, a lot of freedom to kind of do what he's asked him to do. Right? So he's, he's given this manager a certain amount of trust to take care of that household and all the servants within it while he's away. And if the manager is indeed a faithful and wise person, he will take care of everything that falls under his management. Everything that the master has given him, he's going to do a good job of it, right? Verse 43, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. We all know this in our jobs, right? You do well, you get rewarded. You get promotions, you get bonuses, you get all this stuff. So what the manager does when the master returns determines his blessedness. Right? The, the manager's readiness and activity determine who is a faithful and wise manager. It's not just a title that he received and then he gets to sit back and do nothing. Right? It's like, oh, you're, you're a pastor. Oh, great, thanks. Right? The, the manager has to proactively take care of the things the master has set before him. He has to do that. He has to take initiative to do that. His faithfulness and wisdom are determined by what he did with his time and the resources that were behind him. Right? The watchfulness, the preparedness, the readiness played a large role in the success of whether he was a faithful and wise manager. Autonomy and freedom. The autonomy and freedom his master gave him was not taken advantage of. The faithful and wise manager cared about what he did. He cared about the people under his watch. For those of you who are managers, anything more irritating than an employee that just doesn't do anything? Anything? Verse 44. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. See, there will be like a promotion. There will be an advancement. There will be a reward for the faithful and wise manager. It won't just be over one household. He's going to set him over other things. He's going to have him manage other things. The master will trust him with more. He will be given more. Now, where's the contrast here? What's the contrast here? Verses 45 and 46. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk... The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. The mismanagement, the untrustworthiness, foolishness, selfishness of a bad manager has its consequences while the faithful and wise manager receives promotion, blessing. Now, I I wish I could just bypass verse 46. But did any of you notice the end of verse 46? The master of that servant will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. 
What God? God. You said that? This is a brutal picture. And I was just going to skip it. Because I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. That's messed up. You're going to make people like dice chicken. That's messed up. That's judgment. And judgment is not a joke. This is God. This is Creator God. And it's not always so chummy that some of us think He is, that, that we can dictate, like, God's our buddy. You know? Good old God. This is the creator of the universe who who gives us his only begotten son in Jesus to rescue us from judgment. His only begotten son. What do you think his attitude is going to be if you don't accept it? I think he's going to be a little ticked off. But if you don't receive the offer, who's really the foolish manager? He's the master. You and I don't make the rules. When you go shopping for produce, you evaluate that fruit or that vegetable before you buy it, right? If you don't, then your spouse will get angry at you. So you evaluate this type of stuff. It's a judgment. When you compete in a sport, you are timed. Points are deducted or given. Um, uh, You're measured. There's a judgment of how you've performed. When you go to school... You were graded. Judgment. The acceptance or denial of Jesus will lead to an end result. Judgment. Right? And when Jesus returns, he puts everything right. And for those who have trouble accepting God and, and Jesus, I wonder how the beginning of the universe and the end of the universe are defined for you. That if you've just kind of made up those things too. For the follower of Jesus, it's defined for us in the Bible. For those who don't follow Jesus, what is defining your beginning and what is defining your end? Because if you don't have those definitions, it doesn't surprise me that you're making up the middle. Because you sure didn't determine anything in regards into your entry into this world. You didn't decide any of that. I just don't understand what makes you think that you have so much say in where you're going next or how you enter the spiritual world. It's not consistent for me. We are either faithful and wise managers who will be blessed or we aren't and we will receive a very harsh judgment. It's not like, okay, you guys are going to go over there and and, um, play Legos while we enjoy heaven over here. It's It's not that nice. It's a harsh judgment. We go where we want to go. God is not a tyrant. Right? We go where we want to go. The faithful go with the faithful, and the unfaithful go with the unfaithful. God is a just God. He's a just God. The faithful is not forced to be with the unfaithful, and the unfaithful is not forced to be with the faithful. You choose. It is absolutely fair to put believers with other believers and unbelievers with other unbelievers. That is fair. That is justice. No one is going where they don't want to go. Right? That is just. That is fair. When God reveals the reality of a person's heart, 
All truth within that heart will be made known and people will be making it obvious how they are. Whether that sin nature is really indeed in there, that the true state of our hearts will be revealed and all of us will be rotten. And the only way you are not going to be declared rotten in that fruit stand is if Jesus says, I pick that one. Do any of you wonder about what you do and the reason you do what you do and within the context that you do them? So it's Sunday. We go to church. We go to church every Sunday. Now if you were removed from a framework that allowed you to go to church on Sunday, what would your true heart reveal about yourself? Back in chapter 11, Jesus just let the Pharisees and the scribes have it, right? He just gave them those woes. And he called them out on their hypocrisy. Where are we with our hypocrisy? Are we just Sunday Christians? Do we only manage the household for a few hours on a Sunday? Verses 47 and 48. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The more we are trusted with, the more that we know, the more that we have, the greater the opportunity for honor, but the greater the opportunity for dishonor as well. Judgment is real, and it's something not to be taken lightly. And I'm not just preaching to you about this stuff because the verse that just pops into my head all the time when I'm talking about things like this are the verses like James chapter 3, verse 1. Where it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Some of you have shared with me that you've been called to be a pastor. And for me, I'm just like, can you just study James chapter 3, verse 1 just like for a while and then come back to me after that? Because it's not all like lollipops and gumdrops, right? It's severe. That if, if I've said something here that has led you astray, I'm accountable for that. Which is why I'm not sugarcoating anything either because I'm accountable for that also. So I take that really seriously. And so being a manager for the master is not all about fun and games. We have work to do. The more we're entrusted with, the more that we know, the more we are given, knowing the will of God. But if we squander what He's given us, we live in hypocrisy, we are selfish, we are just totally self-absorbed with our own selves, we will receive a severe beating. What we do and what we don't do is taken into account. James chapter 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, For him, it is sin. Are we ready for Jesus' return? If you are not a follower of Jesus, the first step to readiness is conversion. Right? That you become regenerated and a transformed person. And without conversion, there's no further to go. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul wrote, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if you have already been converted, if you have been regenerated, you have been transformed, 
How are you going about building upon what you have already received? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Let's take a quick look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 here. Verses 12 and 13 say, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. What day do you think Paul is writing about there? That day. He was writing about Jesus' return. So are we ready? Right? Are we watching for Jesus' return? Are we just too preoccupied with other stuff in our life? Do you trust your life from here to everlasting to anything else other than Jesus Christ? Paul goes on to write in verses 14 and 15 there, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You barely make You have your fire insurance. You barely make it. Now you notice that this work is personal. It says anyone. Your membership, your, your service, your involvement at this church do not ensure that you are ready. Right? Just like an athlete on a team, if they're not training, they just kind of like wear the uniform and they just kind of march out on the train, but they haven't been lifting, they haven't been running, they haven't been eating right, they haven't been resting right, they haven't been, and they send them out to the field, like, oh, coach, I'm not ready. But you're part of the team. Doesn't work that way. You're not ready, you're benched. Sit down. Right? So, where is your personal relationship with Jesus? Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many right works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Just because you are religious and just because you go to church does not ensure anything except that you will be more strictly judged. Because every Sunday you sit in here, you're going to receive more. Because if we don't, then I'm going to get beaten. I'm not going to get beaten. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to be a good manager. I'm going to dissect the stuff and feed you this stuff. Even if you don't like it, I'm going to feed you because I'm not getting beaten. And if I am, it's going to be light. Because I don't want a heavy one. And I think that people who don't follow Jesus won't be surprised about the judgment that they're going to receive. Right? It's not going to be surprising. If you don't follow Jesus, yeah, that's my heart. And you are the one that was going to escort me there. And since I didn't accept you, then yeah, I guess that's true. The surprises are going to come for those who thought they were safe and they really weren't. Jesus, I thought I, I went to church and I, and I did this stuff at church and I gave you money and I did all this stuff and I don't know you. I don't know you. Go away. Are you ready for his return? You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. To be ready means that our character and that our state of being, that there's no fear there. There is no shame there. That and when Jesus returns, there's no fear and there's no shame. If there is fear and there is shame, you're probably not ready. And it's time to start moving in that direction. To be ready entails effort. 
You don't earn your salvation, but you have to have some effort in there, right? Whenever you get ready for an exam, whenever you get ready for that job interview, whenever you get ready for that sporting event, whenever you get ready for anything, whenever you get ready to go outside your door to go shopping, whatever it is, there is an effort, right? You don't just like, hmm, I'm hungry. Yes, I'm hungry. And I want to eat food, but I don't want to go get it. I'm going to lie here. And maybe my stomach will fill. Fill, stomach. Fill. Fill it. Come on. It doesn't happen that way, right? Things take effort. The follower of Jesus, you cannot be in bed mode. Right? Not Beth mode. Bed mode. (laughs) God is alive. Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit is alive. And you know what? They're not just relaxing like drinking Mai Tais on a beach or something. Right? They are thriving. They're not in bed mode or bev mode. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Fight that fight. I have kept the faith. Right? Finishing, fighting, keeping. Those are words of action. Paul is doing stuff. Are we ready? Are we watchful? Are we alert? There are a lot of things the Bible instructs us to be, and I don't have the time in this sermon to instruct in all ways, maybe in in 10 years. But the ones I do want to point out are the ones that I think our particular church struggles with most. And I'm going to try to make it simple by creating an alliteration of S's, or with S's. So, secularism, sexuality, slothfulness, and stalling. I realize they're not all nouns, but that's the only way I could get the S's. I'm sorry. Here we go. Secularism. Right? Being worldly. Right? Being worldly in how we think. In what we think. Without the mind of Jesus. Right? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How often do we live in accordance to the spirit or wisdom of the world? More so than the word of God. Right? I I think the church does this a lot. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand things freely given us by God. We will not understand grace if we live by the Spirit of the world. We will not understand redemption, resurrection, things given to us freely by God if we are living by the wisdom of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. So why do the perspectives of secular society seem to influence us so much more when we have the Word of God? Why are we taking that into our our, our minds and, and allowing that to rule us? If the opinions of the world affect us more than the Word of God, I think that tells us something about our readiness. If the Bible tells us that the world's wisdom is folly to God, That tells us something about readiness if we are following the wisdom of the world. Second thing, sexuality. It's everywhere. It's in everything. What we see, 
what we hear, it is everywhere. It has raided our minds. It has not just raided our society. It has raided within us. It's raided our hearts. It's raided our spirits. It's not just raiding your visual or hearing space. It's inside of a lot of you. For some of you, it has conquered you. And I don't mean to place judgment on you. I want to try to relate to you in that I understand that purity and wholeness that within you, that they are so far out of reach for you. That, 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 that this whole lustful thing, this sexuality thing, this sensual thing has had a grip on your life. And to think about living a life consistent with the teachings of Jesus Christ, that is just so far out there for you. Peter warns us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. How true is that? You don't even know truth from false any, anymore. Like You don't even know. And I think one of the problems with this particular struggle and sin is that people want to deal with this struggle on their own. They want to deal with it and they want to come back and say like, Oh, this is how God did it with me. How is that going for you? How many years have you been struggling? Seriously. Stop. This is ridiculous. The truth will be blaspheming. You're not going to even be able to juggle with what's real and what's not. It's really difficult to deal with this, especially when it's so hard for you to get away from it and it's so easily accessible. Those aren't good combinations. Right? So if you struggle with this, I want to encourage you to reach out to people in the church. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that you're not alone. That's what you're going to find. Some of you are thinking that yeah, I'm the only one or, you know, I'm this guy and I have kids or, and, I, and I've, I, I lead this thing or I do this thing and I'm, I'm, I'm a, a leader in the church and all this stuff. Man, baloney, man. You will call him Lord, Lord, and he will say he won't even know you. Drop all that stuff. Who cares? Come clean. Tell somebody here, I struggle with this. And you're going to find that there's support here for you, that there's actually quite a few people that struggle with this very same thing. And this is a very prevalent issue, and this is a huge obstacle in our readiness for Jesus coming back. Third thing, slothfulness. Lazy. You're being lazy. I see this one a lot. Right back in Matthew chapter 25, verse 26, Jesus told the story of the servant and he given talents, right, by their master. And, and so this servant, he gets a talent and he hides it. He doesn't do anything with it. He just hides it. And the master said, you wicked and slothful servant. You didn't do a thing. See, we are to be doing something with what we've been given. How much time has been wasted in slothfulness? How many excuses do we have to have that we're not doing the Great Commission and making disciples? How many excuses do we have to have? How much time do we have to waste in front of a television or a computer or lying on a bed? We are not ready if slothfulness is running through our veins. If you are doing something, this is not for you. This is for the 80%. Our church is guilty of that 80-20 rule. It is. And 80% of you are lazy. I don't want to get beaten. I'm sorry. 
I just, yes, I'm selfish right now. I just don't want to get beaten. But that's the truth. You have 20% working, doing stuff, right? Getting out there, getting busy. And then there's a big old group doing nothing. Lastly, stalling, procrastination, delaying, procrastination in doing something, procrastination in overcoming that sexuality issue, procrastination, it lies in all these things, right? That you just kind of say, like, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it later, I'll do it whatever, you know, like, uh, oh, uh, just whatever, you know. Oh, thank you, Pastor Albert. Thanks for that message about being ready for Jesus' return and about procrastination and sexuality and laziness and all this stuff. You know what? I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to take care of that tomorrow. Thank you, though. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I could tell that you're really um, um, wanting to tell us about this stuff and warn us and have us be ready. But, you know, I'm going to go get my grilled cheese. I'm going to take a nap. And then I'm going to think about that later. Man. Our flesh, our world, the, the enemies of God, they, they love to procrastinate. They love to stall. Right? They love to stall. Anything more boring than stalling, like that, that's the most boring thing. I'm, I'm a fight fan. I'm a huge fight fan. I hate when someone just kind of lays on the other guy and says, like, oh, I'm going to wait for the time to go 20 seconds. Oh, that is terrible. And I just imagine God up there and he's like, are you serious? I, you're not in the fight. You're not running. You're you're lying in bed again for another hour, and you're watching that television. How many times do you have to watch that show? Didn't you watch it already? And like you're on the internet for what what ten hours today? This is crazy. This is like ridiculous. And you're just stalling. How are you stalling? Right? And the pro- procrastination. It's just a horrible thing because there are things that need to be dealt with now, not later. Right now. James wrote in verses 13 and 14, James chapter 4, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Ask yourself, pray, how are you stalling? How have you not made the decision to do what you're supposed to be doing? Like what's happening there? If you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus Christ yet, what's the delay? You don't know if you're even going to be alive tomorrow. What's the delay? Have you been a Christian for a while and you still haven't been baptized? Why are you stalling? Right? What, be ready and be ready right now. Get ready. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and it's time to be watchful for the return of Jesus Christ. I have a cousin who... Uh, just had a kidney transplant this past Thursday, and uh, so happy. He's, he's not a believer, but but I called him when when the family was informing one another, and we were just calling one another that that he found a match because it's been years looking for this match. And so I called him and I prayed with him and I talked with him, and um, thank you guys who prayed with me and and prayed for my cousin when I reached out to you um, when I got news of this. And I really appreciate it, and so does he. I've talked to him since then. He's waited several years for this kidney. He's gone through years of dialysis. He's gone through numerous surgeries. He's gone through numerous checkups. He's been pricked and prodded, and he's been given medication for years. 
Now what good would his doctors be if they told him he didn't need to regularly get dialysis done? That he didn't need to be properly medicated, that he didn't have to have his health monitored, that he didn't have to do the proper tests so that when that kidney donor was going to give him that kidney and that was a perfect match, that he would be ready for that transplant. How good would they be? They'd be useless. If his doctors didn't warn him and tell him what he needed to do to be ready when that kidney match came in, they would be terrible doctors, wouldn't they? And so with terrible doctors, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have to endure as much pain. He wouldn't have to go through all the surgeries. He wouldn't have to go through all the needle pokes and feeling sick and going through dialysis and feeling all those kind of feelings and stuff like that. But you know what? He'd be dead. But the doctors he had had his best interest in mind, and now he's recovering with a new kidney. He's actually eating and drinking, and he's walking around, and he's doing all this stuff. But what if the doctors were terrible, and they didn't care about what happened to him, and he could do whatever he wanted, and think about however he wanted to think about things, and who cares about a beginning, and who cares about an end? I determine my now. He'd be dead. So here we have Jesus, who has given us these warnings to be ready. He's given us these instructions. He's, and he's telling you, you've got to go to dialysis and clean yourself out. Right? You've got to go to those checkups. You've got to get healthy. You've got to get all these things done so that you are ready. And you know what? There might be some painful moments and there might be some moments of discomfort and inconvenient things that we go through. But we need to listen and follow the instructions of a great physician. Right? He is the great physician. He's not just good. He's awesome. And sometimes we go through these difficult times before His return. Sometimes these things, they help us in our preparation. Are we ready? Are we ready for that transplant? Right? So if you're not a follower of Jesus, the first thing to do is faithfully trust Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And it's time to trust Jesus and to have a relationship with Him. If you have questions about that, please talk to me. Email me and, and let's chat. I'd love to talk with you. And if you have already decided to follow Jesus, are you ready? It's time to get in the right place so that we're ready. See, you you know my cousin, he was cleared for the transplant. It's not just that there's a match. Right? It's not that there's just a match. His kidney matches him, but that's not it. He has to be ready for that. Right? So he has to go through all these series of tests to see if he is ready for a transplant. It's just like God when he's saying like, you're saying, Lord, Lord, I did all this stuff in your name and all this. And he says, I didn't know you. It's the same thing. It's not anything with him. It's that you weren't ready. You weren't ready for it. So he has to go through all these tests, right? And, and one of those tests that he had to go through Before they said, like, yep, that's it. The very last test that he had to go through was to see if his heart was ready. To see if his heart was ready. To see if his heart could go through that procedure and make it. Is our heart ready for Jesus' return? Is our heart ready? We might think that we have all this stuff good to go. But he also says, you know, I don't know you. 
It's not a matter of whether he is ready, right? It's not a matter of what he's bringing with him and the good news he brings with him and all the glory he brings with him. Are we ready? Are we ready to receive that? Are our hearts ready? See, we don't know when he'll return. But the thing that I do know is that right now is sooner than yesterday was. That's what I do know. And tomorrow will be sooner than today was. Let's be ready. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray for anyone who does not know you, Lord, that, um, that they would. And God, for any of us who are struggling with the things that are pulling us back from being ready, God, help us to humbly beg of your Holy Spirit to just transform and regenerate our lives entirely. Help us to seek out help. Help us to grab people within our community to walk this preparation of of being ready together. In Jesus' name, amen.